if you're sitting there and you're banking your entire lead generation strategy for the year on a couple of trade shows, you are going to have a miserable time getting any success out of your marketing. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76. If there's one thing that all manufacturers seem to have in common, it's this. They love their trade shows. For some, it's legitimately a top business driver from one year to the next. For others, they like to pretend it is, and some just do it because isn't going to trade shows just what manufacturers do. Regardless of what camp you fall into, the last year and a half has rocked the trade show landscape, and it's made most organizations think really hard about how their trade show strategy needs to evolve. Fresh off FabTech 2021, my two guests today will talk about what they observed from what's changed since pre-pandemic times, to some unique ideas and uses of space that they witnessed, to where they see missed opportunities for manufacturers at trade shows, and how they envision trade shows evolving in the years ahead. My hope is that this conversation will spark some ideas for you, regardless of what your trade show strategy looks like headed into 2022. So let's get into it. John Franco, my business partner of 15 plus years now, is thinker and founder of Gorilla76. John was named to the 2010 St. Louis Business Journal's 30 Under 30 class and was named one of St. Louis's top young entrepreneurs by Small Business Monthly. He's a graduate of the Focus St. Louis Emerging Leaders Program and is a member of the 42nd class of Leadership St. Louis. John is a passionate Missouri tiger and loves to spend time in the outdoors hunting, fishing, biking, and running. In July of 2019, he ran across the state of Ohio, 174 miles in six days to raise money and awareness for MS Run the U.S. Today, he's an ambassador for the organization. John has served as a board member for Launch St. Louis, co-founder, and the Friends of Clifton Park, co-founder, and Brightside St. Louis. He volunteers with Big Brothers Big Sisters of Eastern Missouri, serving as a big brother. In August of 2020, he was nominated and selected for the Heroes Heart Award. John currently sits on the board of trustees and is the vice chairman for the Gateway Arch chapter of the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. He's active with Bike MS, Governance and Community Engagement Committees. In early 2020, he was awarded the Community Awareness Award for the chapter for his fundraising and mentoring efforts. John is a graduate of the University of Missouri School of Journalism. Matthew Chanella is a marketing professional of nine plus years. He started his career doing technical and proposal writing for A&E companies before transitioning to design build construction. There he was introduced to marketing where he started with content marketing and website development. In 2016, Matt moved to welding equipment maker Abacor Binzel, where he was marketing manager before moving to marketing director of the United States and Canada. At Binzel, Matt evolved the marketing department from a print ad to trade show approach to an inbound content and demand generation model, expanding his program to other areas, including Mexico, Brazil, Germany, and the United Kingdom, and helping to get regional programs off the ground. 
Matthew moved to the financial tech startup company Gravy to be their content director before returning to the industrial space as strategy director here at Gorilla76 just over a year ago. In that role, Matt helps lead overall strategic direction for both Gorilla and our clients. Matt and John, welcome to the show. I was going on against you. Thanks for having us. That was a really long intro. <laughs> that was really, that was very long for both of you, but usually it would be fine for one. I had two of you and I probably should have made you trim them, but you know, time is of the essence here. And <laughs> I like the, the ego boost. So it was nice. All right. So you guys have both, you guys both went to Fabtech last month. You, you represented Gorilla there. Matt, you have been there a handful of times over the years, I know. And I wanted to use this podcast episodes is a jumping off point for talking about where do we think trade shows are headed in the future? So I want to kick this off. You, you both mentioned a few creative ideas that you saw at Fabtech. So let's go there first. Like share what stood out to you in hopes of maybe inspiring some out of the box thinking for our listeners. Yeah, I'll, I'll just throw the two. This was my first time going to this trade show. I know Matt has, has been numerous times and to a lot of other industry trade shows, but it's kind of discussed if we're going to be talking about trade shows a lot, we kind of need to put our money where our mouth is and, and go see them ourselves and walk. So I, I, I didn't really know what to expect, but there were two that, that really jumped out to me and I'm thinking about it. There's that, that path robotics booth. It just was exceptionally well done. It was ex very experiential. You kind of were invited into their space and, and I, I thought that was interesting and then the other one that just blew me away, I, I, I've told this story a million times, but I just was walking by a TV and I hear a guy on a TV say, hey, you in the blue Gorilla 76 shirt. And I'm, I like, stop. I'm like, I, I thought it was just a recording and it, it wasn't. It was actually somebody live from company headquarters in Australia inviting me in to do a product demo via, you know, the same technology we're using right now. So that was the one that just made me realize like, holy cow, this is really interesting and a really cool way to sell and a cool way for them to not have to bring all this equipment and save on a ton of costs, but still have a really effective display there. So those are the two that jumped out to me. And that company was called Ensitech, their product is called TigBrush. And th these guys are actually going to be on the show coming up here shortly. So I, I was curious to hear about, you know, they, they've really embraced live streaming and they found out how to apply it in a trade show setting, which I think was great. So how about you, Matt? Anything in particular stood out to you? Well, the, the size of the floor stood out to me a lot. You know, someone who's exhibited at that show four times, that was my fifth time attending. You know, you're used to seeing wall to wall in all directions, the auxiliary area as well of, of hall B, which I believe is the hall that we were in. It just being like completely stuffed and like they did obviously less people at the show, less exhibitors. There were some very sizable people not exhibiting. And so it got cordoned off. And so the footprint was a lot smaller and that was, that was very off-putting to look at, especially if you've done the show as often as I have. And you know, as soon as you walk in, you're going to see the biggest welding company in the world first. And then the one who probably has the biggest social media presence and the most influencer marketing in the back and they have very distinct colors and you know, they're going to run huge events all show. They were not there. And so that was to me really surprising. Those who stood out at the show, I thought were companies who tried to embrace being different. I also thought mostly companies who have been doing a good job marketing outside of trade shows were <laughs> that did really well for themselves. And so 
I just think there's very obvious momentum to be had from doing marketing good 365 days a year, and then watching that spill over into how many people were visiting your booth. And so, you know, Path Robotics stood out and Kawasaki was another one that stood out. They had a nice rebrand that they, they had done and I thought it was very noticeable. Yeah, I agreed with that. You know, Take Brush stood out as well for me. What about Matt? All the, you know, the, the the companies that were doing like software as a service, you couldn't get you couldn't get close to their booth. Yeah, I mean, they were the, the the SaaS companies that had some focus on manufacturing were telling me how they were extremely busy. Zometry being one, machine metrics being another, paperless parts seemed fairly busy too. So there were just there were definitely like the ones they those were smaller footprints, smaller delegations, a lot less investment up front. You know, when you do, uh, when you're not selling hard goods, you don't need the space necessarily to to sit there and 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 place your products. But they all told me they had great results throughout the show. They thought the quality was really high. The theory was that people who did come were very serious about coming. That's certainly a hypothesis that I think has merit. But overall, it was it was less people than past years for show like Chicago, and the exhibitor list was definitely a lot slower. That said. Yeah, those were the companies that I thought stood out. It was cool. Like our our friends over at Rigaku, when we went by their booth, like it was an opportunity to like actually, you know, we've been helping them with, you know, their marketing and it was helpful to actually see their instruments and be able to touch them and hold them and ask a lot of questions. So I think that was like, if I think about it as a buyer, I, th- I think anyone where you could test something or see it, or whether it's software or whether it's some sort of device to to get a dew point reading or whatever, I, I think it's always those people really stuck out to me. So Matt, you and I were recently talking about how companies that exhibit at these big trade shows tend to go in with very little strategy. I know you've you know, you've been inside of manufacturing companies, whereas you know, John and I are, are agency guys. You've maybe have seen this from both sides, but what like let's talk a little bit and John jump in here too, but like what do you guys think that manufacturers need to be doing ahead of time during the show and also after the show to actually get the most out of this investment as opposed to just showing up and hoping that people then show up at your booth? I think part of it depends on what you've invested in marketing personnel-wise already. For a lot of marketing professionals who do these trade shows, just getting the booth stood up and getting your delegation in without there being a hitch is a full-time job kind of all all on its own, sort of going in going into fab tech. And so we talk about, well, why isn't there a lot of strategy around it? It's because the effort of planning like your products and your dredge and your material handling and your labor and all the other aspects that go into making a trade show. If you're not doing it year round, if it's like the, if you do it once or twice a year, you know, it's huge lift on your time. And so that's why there's not a ton of strategy that goes into it from, for a lot of companies that I see. So the question about how companies can do more, a lot of that has to do with collaborating more with your, with your sales team or getting a look into your CRM and, having a sense of who's going to be exhibiting uh, or sorry, who's going to be attending there, who maybe you have in an early stage pipeline opportunity. I think another thing that I noticed with people doing trade shows in general in the industrial side is like, there's those who do real demos and there's those who do simulated demos and you're really only going to get interest in your booth. If, if you're doing a real demo, like you're paying for gas, you're paying for 30 amp outlets, you're, you know, really gonna make things 
light up and spark and you're going to be welding or cutting or forming metal or, or whatever it is you're doing at that show. And if you able to actually do a, a live demo on your booth, well, you know, that's a good time to bring early stage opportunities, primary contacts who maybe haven't done a live demo of your product before. Maybe your sales guy has something scheduled with them and to give them a chance to demo the product there on the floor before having to go drive out to them and do it or, or, or leave a, or leave a product there or have them fly out to you. If your product is so big that you can't even do it that way and check the product out. So I think, you know, using the trade show to do live demos on your early stage pipeline opportunities is really good is a pretty sound way to go. It just involves doing a lot of collaborating with your sales team and having them call on people and knowing who's going to be there and then scheduling time to make sure that whatever it is y'all want a demo is available and that other people don't have a demo scheduled at the same time. And so there's like Novark Technologies, who's one of the, is, is, a, is one company who does that really well. And so at Fabtech, one of the things they, they do because their their products take so long to put together and it's so such a capex, you know, three hundred thousand dollars or something like that each. And so, you know, people go to the show to demo the product. They bring their pipe samples in and they they fit it up and and they weld it in front of them and show them all the data acquisition that it does and the sort of the, all the camera angles that it's able to grab and the recordings and things like that. And it's really smart of them to do that. And then they have other times where it's kind of open schedule. And so people can just kind of walk up and just do like a walk by demo. But, you know, they know that the show for them is getting their pipeline opportunities in to get a live demo because it's hard to do that otherwise. So companies who do that, I think, tend to, will tend to get more out of the show, but even still, I mean, you're looking at, you're looking at things that are already in pipeline that you're trying to help close. So I think it, it tends to be how you look at the investment in the first place. I was going to also comment on, I, I was in terms of the post-show follow-up, I've just been, I, I don't want to say surprised. It's kind of what I expected, but I've seen a lot of bad marketing post-show, a lot of like, Hey, somehow somebody got my business card. I'm clearly not in the target audience here, but somehow I just got thrown into like the, the churn and burn email like list. And, you know, there's, it's, it's all the stuff we, we talk about not doing it's, Hey, look how great we are. Instead of sending me any sort of content that could be, even if I was a buyer being, being relevant, it's, it's, Hey, here's a, here's a listing of our latest catalog or whatever. And it's just, you see that stuff and you're like, man, you could, you could be doing so much more. Yeah, I think one thing as an attendee that you notice when you go to the show is how much everyone markets to you the same after the show, right? And so thinking about what you want to do in terms of execution is like, I think is bearing in mind that you are one of 50, 60, 70, 80 companies that, whose, whose badge got scanned, right? Like this person whose badge you just scanned, well, they just got scanned by 80 other companies as well. So they're probably going to get anywhere between 50 and 75, because some of them will just not bother to do any follow-up whatsoever. Outreach is afterwards. It's going to be from salespeople, one-to-one. It's going to be automated email nurtures. It's going to be people getting into your newsletter. It's going to be your webinar that you're running next month, right? So what are you doing to stand out post-show with anything different so that you're not the same industrial company doing the same homogenous follow-up that everyone else is doing that isn't that is and and nobody 
is going to act on aside from the one person who probably would have bought from you in the first place because their need was so great and they saw your, I mean, they probably already contacted you at that, at that point, right? They're like, I saw this company, I saw this product. It was exactly what I was looking for. You know, they didn't need to follow up. They knew they're like, I gotta, I gotta call this company immediately. So just think about ways you could stand out a little bit more on those follow-up executions, doing some personalized gift giving, something like this is an area where direct mail can actually help you. Just anything to stick out in that regard. Or, you know, if you did a good job with with your batch scanning and your note taking and you found someone cool, if you have a good content program, like if you have your own newsletter or if you have your own webinar series or if you have your own podcast, inviting one of those people on to just be a guest on it and collaborate with them instead of trying to just nakedly sell to them, which I think is what most people go out and, and do. And so I think that's where a lot of the follow-up tends to fall flat is because it's all really the same and no one's taking a more patient approach with it, understanding that it's relationships that drive you forward at this point. And, you know, really once you turn the relationship into turn the relationship making into something more transactional after the show, you kind of missed your chance to, to develop that over time. Yeah, that's good. A couple of quick builds on what you guys said there. You know, John, I, I think your point about like all the noise after a trade show, don't be a part of it. Think about how how you feel when you get solicited like that in ways you don't want. So consider that when you think about how to follow up, first of all. And then Matt, I think one point you made early on there was that I really liked was, you know, going in with some by being intentional. I'm think ahead of time about you know, who's in your pipeline, who might be at this show and, you know, invite them to your booth, set up a demo ahead of time at a specific time. Or you know, Matt, when we were talking the other day in, in preparation for this conversation, you, you said, well, what about parallel events? Like if you've got 10 really great prospects who you know are going to be there and they're already in your funnel, how about making us, you know, setting up a side trip to you know, John, you'd like this one to go duck hunting or something, right? Like, or, or whatever, or even rent out the bar next door. I think Matt, you mentioned that one, like, could you host a private event and have it planned out ahead of time and invite people who may not even be going to the show, but it might make them come to the show. There's going to be so many people in one place at the same time. And I think it's just a missed opportunity to not be able to engage people in, in some more meaningful way. So, and like, I, I saw it, you know, I would, can't remember what nights we were there. There was, I think it was when the Cardinals were on that crazy run they were on. So I was trying to catch baseball games at night and you'd sit and like at the hotel bar and like that there was business being done there. Like, you know what I mean? Like they, the people had hung out all day or, or maybe not had hung out all day, but they had, they connected at the trade show. Then they were meeting up for drinks. They were going to dinner after they were doing these like breakout events. So almost. And I mean, it's, it's very apparent that that's still where a lot of business is being done. It's, it's relationships, right? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, with a lot of companies, they want to try to siphon that off. And so they're like, well, let me take my one big account to dinner. Let me take my major distributor out to dinner. Where I think what's cool that you could do is find, you know, if you know you sell like the top electric car maker and they use your laser product, and then you have like the top agricultural machinery maker and you have a really good relationship with their welding engineer. And you have a really good relationship with this guy who works at Halliburton or something like that. You know, if you have these relationships with these people and you have a chance to kind of bring them together for like a group meal, these people don't compete with each other really for anything. But if you have a chance to be the linchpin or the centrifugal force around what makes those relationships happen, you know, you get to be the company that helps produce the, the network effect for 
others in the space trying to either get better or want to know best practices or looking to borrow techniques from other industries. And I think for a lot of companies, they want to try to keep these accounts apart from each other when really it's, it's interesting is to bring them together and try to, you know, see what the conversations are like. And you get to be the person who helped put that together and you get to sort of be a fly on the wall and just observe it. So I think there's power in helping your customers forge relationships within their network and you putting those situations in place. And, and you as a marketer have a chance to make those things happen, especially if you're able to put a really cool small event on for like, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 of your best customers. You know, another thing that I think is an opportunity, I saw this going on last week. It's We're, we're recording this on uh, October 18th here in 2021. And last week in Memphis, there was the Autonomous Mobile Robots and Logistics Conference going on in Memphis. And yeah, I kind of, a lot of people that I follow and am connected to on LinkedIn, um, a few, namely Chris Lukey, Aaron Prather, Jake Hall, the three of them were they were, and I think Chris and, and Jake, I don't know if they subleased booth space from somebody or what they did, but they had their podcasts set up. And Chris Lukey runs Manufacturing Happy. I was actually like recording podcasts live right there at the show, which I think is just so smart. And whether it's, you know, you as a manufacturer recording a podcast, which may be, you know, not your world yet, it should be, we, we can talk about that, but creating content of some sort that can also double as market research. I watched the, the guys at Industrial Sage do this a couple of years ago too. I'm forgetting offhand what show it was, but they brought their cameras, their heavy equipment, like their, you know, their, their video equipment. And they walked around and they interviewed at like you know, 50 or 100 people that are right in their target audience on camera. And they created content all out, of, out of that. So I think that's an opportunity there for any manufacturers who have a, a strong marketing arm. Could you be live at a show interviewing your prospects, turning that into content that can serve you, can serve those prospects and help you build relationships with those people and double as market research, frankly. So kind of just throwing that one out into the, the mix as well. So all of this stuff considered... John, Matt, where do you guys think trade shows are going? How do you think if you look out into the future three to five years from now, what do you think will be different now versus what maybe has happened in the last three to five years? You know, Matt, you're, you're going to have a lot more thoughts on this than I am. Again, I have, you know, as I said earlier, I don't have a ton of experience or, or I don't have a lot of things to compare this to in terms of how it has evolved already. But I think you know, the, the, the thing I kept hearing was smaller crowd, but the people who are here, we're having really good conversations with, because if you're going to travel during a pandemic and, and during, you know, when, whenever there's health stuff going on, like you, you have to be pretty serious about it. I also think like the evolution of the booth is like, if you're running the same old, like as Matt always says, running the same playbook where you've got, you know, you're, you've got I don't know, stress balls and t-shirts. And, you know, that's how you're in, in, a, in a fishbowl bucket to put your business card in. You're probably behind You're what well, you are behind and you need to be thinking in a more innovative way. Again, like going back to that TIG brush example, that just it blew me away. It was the coolest thing I've seen. And like, I could actually, I was talking live with the, the guy and I could like do the demo with the product that he had right there. Like it was amazing. So those are my initial thoughts. I mean, Matt, you probably have way more thoughts and you, you have seen like how it's evolved to date. Yeah. You know, I think you're going to see a lot of companies scale back their investment overall. And what I mean by that is I just think 
a lot of companies are going to do smaller footprints. They're going to focus more on live demos than they should. It's going to be more focused on being experiential. Smaller booths mean smaller delegations of people. It means less hotels. It means less meals out. Tenants probably will come back to close to where it was. I just think companies are going to get smarter about what they put into the trade show because they are becoming wiser in terms of what they get out of it. I've, I've sent the same sort of investment uh, ROI calculator on trade shows that I've used in my article that I wrote for Gorilla and the webinar I've done. And that's the case for most people who go to it. So I think you're going to look at, I'm looking at smaller footprints, more live demos, smaller delegations, and smaller footprint mostly is because a lot of industrial companies who sell a lot of different products, like, oh, we have thousands of products potentially. Well, they're going to focus 80-20. They're going to go, well, if we have 20% of our products drive 80% of our business. And why are we trying to focus on showing everything under the sun where well, we can just focus on the core products? And that's really going to, at the end of the day, be what most people are interested in. And they'll focus around that. And instead of trying to show every possible configuration of it, they're just going to be like, here's one model. We make, we make a bunch of modifications to it based on what you need, but this is generally how it functions. So what are like some of the costs? Like, it blew my mind. And I don't want to say any numbers because I'm sure that I, I'll get them wrong. But I was hearing what some of these companies spend just to get their equipment there. And that's where I'm like, having that like two-way video is like, you're saving so much money by not trying to rebuild your shop. And I mean, what do these companies spend, some of them? I'm going to stop you guys there and use this as our transition into the question I've been waiting to ask, which is this, you know, Matt, you wrote an article on our site that you, you just kind of mentioned in passing a second ago last December called the economics of your trade show are broken. Here's the fix. And I want to hear your, because I've heard you go on 30 minute rants about that, but I want to hear your, your condensed version of what's the counter argument to attending trade shows in the first place, just, just for the sake of ruffling some feathers here, because we're marketing guys and we're supposed to do that, right? Let's get some hot takes. I mean, the counter argument is just like, you can spend, you, you probably already lost money on the trade show by the time you attend it overall. I mean, the economics were like, we spend $230,000 between booth space, drayage, material handling, labor, just whatever it is you get upcharged by the show contractor about, you know, power, all the gas, all the other stuff that you need to produce four opportunities, one of which you close and it's worth 50. Maybe let's say you sell a hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment. Well, you spent $230,000 to make a hundred thousand dollar sale. So that's not really, you know, very. The amount of time some of these people, they would be like, I've been here for 10 days, like setting up my booth. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's just also just the time commitment that you put. I mean, people spend hundreds of hours of their year working on the show. And it's just like, is that the smartest use of your time? Probably not. When you could spend more time doing content and working on establishing more organic presence on something like LinkedIn or taking that $230,000 and dividing it between content development and paid distribution. There's just so many other more efficient things that can reach more people than the, than the trade show. I mean, let's in the rosiest of scenarios, you spend $230,000 and 50,000 people attend that show and you scan all 50,000 people, probably only a per, small percentage of which are your actual ICP. You're spending like four point like four and a quarter on, you know, badge scans, you know, email, email address of someone who's never going to buy from you. It's like really bad lead chat. You know, if you, if you look at, let's say you scan 300 
and you spent $230,000. You spent like 70, oh, not even that. You spent way more than that. Uh, let's see, one, two, three. For those now watching, Matt's doing math on paper right now. Yeah, spent $766 for a lead there. And then you convert, you know, one of those into a customer. And so again, voila, you spent $230,000 to get one customer. So that's the economics are broken because if you think about who you actually turn into a customer, who you meet at that show, it's a very small percentage. Now, companies will mask this by including existing business and upsells, and then the, the, the lead gets scanned and they do the demo and then it becomes influenced revenue. And then, you know, everyone feels happy at the end of the day. But if you're looking at it as new customer acquisition, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty inefficient overall. I think most companies would be better served reallocating that spend into other places. I still think you should attend the show, maybe get a 10 by 10 booth, maybe focus it on your key customers and take them out for an event or an experience. But I mean, just doing the same play over and over again, when we're in an era where information is available at any point in time at your fingertips, just, it feels like a lot of time and cost investment for not a lot in return. So Matt, I have heard you use the term to describe sort of the brand of marketing that we really believe in, which is you know creating amazing content for a specific audience and using paid distribution to be in front of them consistently as, as almost like having a 24-7 trade show going on at all times. For our audience, you know, our manufacturing executive audience who probably has no idea what I mean when I say that, can you sort of explain what that means in simple terms? When you're able to use social media or use the power of paid distribution because you can target audiences by their job title or their industry or their function or how many years they've experienced that they have or what size of company that you want to target. When you, when you have all these ways to target people in areas where they spend most of their time and you're able to do that over every single day, essentially, over the course of a calendar year, you have a chance to tell a story and build a narrative around you that you just are not going to do in a five-minute booth visit. You know, like the people who do really well at those trade shows historically also do really good marketing 365 days a year. And so if you're sitting there and you're banking your entire lead generation strategy for the year on a couple of trade shows, you are going to have a miserable time getting any success out of your marketing because they're just competing with too many other people. And there's other companies who are building no like trust affinity for their company and their brand and basically shaping the people's people's narrative around what their category, what your category looks like. They're doing that every single day of the year. And when you're not, you know, you're basically losing, you're losing market share. You're losing no like trust. You're losing mind share to those, those other companies. And so, you know, I, all, all I advocate for is if you have $230,000 to spend on a trade show, you're probably better off using it to create content for your company and then distributing it really well on places where your ideal customer spends more time. I mean, your customer spends hours and hours of time on LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook or wherever, YouTube, as opposed to at a trade show. So that's, that's all I would probably advocate for as an alternative, just way to, to spend that money. Is there anything that either of you guys want to add to this conversation that I didn't ask you about? I have kind of an interesting observation. And there's no doubt, I mean, AI and robotics and it's not just the future, it's the present in a lot of places. And, and it's only going more and more that way. But 
Matt and I missed lunch the one day. And so we had to go to, there was like a Mickey D's, which Joe, I know you're a Mickey D's guy there. There's a McDonald's inside the place. And it was crazy because Matt and I go down and the line was, how many people are in that line, Matt? Like, I mean, it was the longest McDonald's line I've seen to, to go see a person, like the person at the counter there right next to it was the kiosk where you could just go up and order it. And no one was in line for that. And so Matt and I were like, is it broken? And it wasn't. That's how we ordered our food. And we got it before like anybody in the line got their food, but it's just a perfect example. Of, like people are still like kind of leery of some of that stuff. I, I don't know. It, I just thought it was interesting, but it was a delicious McDonald's cheeseburger. I, I got the double cheeseburger. Meal, so it is interesting though. Yeah. Matt, anything you want to say to put a wrap on this? No, I, I don't, I don't have anything much to add to that overall. I know people were happy to get back into a trade show function, but I don't think it's going to just roar back to what it was before. I think companies have accelerated adopting digital in a way that they haven't before. And I think we're are going to look at the cost investment of this compared to other things they could spend on and think that it's more efficient to do other things with that. And I, I, I would think that's probably, pro- probably the right thing to do. Yeah. I think if anything, it's, it's, I feel like we're just going to see people be smarter, you know, one way or another, some companies will keep doing what they've been doing, but I think this, the, a lot of companies will look really hard at this and say, first, should we be doing this in the first place? And if so, how can we do it more efficiently? How can we get more, more out of this? So hopefully this spurred some ideas for, for people in that camp. Great. Well, I appreciate you guys doing this. We'll let you get back to work, but I want to first give you both a chance to, you know, to, to let our audience know how they can get in touch with each of you. Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, Matthew Chanella, Matthew J. Chanella. I also have my own podcast, The Industrial Marketing Show, which I do with MJ Peters just about every week. You can find that on Apple and Spotify, and we turn out new episodes every week. So hopefully, let's give it a listen. Yeah, I'm LinkedIn, John J O N Franco, F R E N K O. I'm also on Instagram, company Instagram. I, I do a little managing of that. So if I'm not on one of those things, I'm probably running around Forest Park. So that's pretty much where I am these days. Getting ready for that New York marathon with um, a stress, fra- stress fracture going on right now, correct? Yeah. So hopefully that, that gets healed. We're going to try it out this week and see how it feels. By the time this is live, we'll, we'll know whether how, how you pulled it off, which I'm sure you will. Okay, guys. Well, once again, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming back on. We'll have both of you back on again at some point. You're both becoming veterans uh, of, of this show. And Matt, you're no first rodeo for you either running your own show. Go check out the Industrial Marketing Show with Matt and MJ Peters. And uh, as for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of the Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.